Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Sarah Creel, the co-founder and CEO of Victoria Beckham Beauty. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Priya. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. We're so excited. Um, I know you guys have a lot of news lately. So Sarah, tell me a little bit about your background, because I know your reputation uh, precedes itself. I've heard a lot about you and you're a veteran beauty expert. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in beauty. So, um, I mean, I can't really tell this, this little piece of the story without saying that I'm from this very small town in northwestern Pennsylvania, and there was very little to do. Um, And so I would spend a lot of time actually going to our local uh, drugstore and looking at beauty. And when I was about 13 years old, my my dad was an architect and he would go to the office on Saturdays. He didn't really know what to do with me. So I would go to the local CVS and I would look at all the beauty on the wall. And, um, And one day I was looking at the mascaras. I just loved beauty just from a really early age. And I was looking at all of these mascaras and I started reading the ingredient listings on each of them. And I realized they were identical. And I thought to myself in that moment, the difference has to be the brush. And then I thought, somebody has that job. Somebody has to choose that brush. Somebody has to figure out, you know, how to make a mascara different. And that was really a big aha moment. And I thought, I want that job. That was early on, you know. And then I, I went to, you know, through high school, I went to college. Um, I majored in British literature um, <laughs> because they had really no, no way to graduate, to, to study even um, what I wanted to do, marketing and product development at that stage. So nor did my parents encourage that. They thought, you know, <laughs> this was not going to be my future, but indeed it was. And I, then I moved to New York after I graduated high school. I mean, college, um, I moved to New York and I got my first job, which was standing behind the counter at Bergdorf Goodman. And Sarah, you know, after that experience at Bergdorf, I'm sure you saw so many different kinds of customers. I'm sure they were asking questions just like you were asking when you were 13, mm-hmm. but you know, how did you just translate that to the corporate you know, roles that you had, you know, at Clinique and, and mm-hmm. some of the more, you know, um, public facing in the beauty industry? Well, you know, I really believe that there are no mistakes. You know, I, I wasn't actually thrilled that that was my first job. Um, I wanted to move right into a corporate position. That's what I thought I could do. But, um, you know, working with people and the public face to face There's no better way to understand sort of human psyche in a way. And what is it that women were coming to the Clinique counter to do? What was it? You know, it wasn't about buying, you know, a a lotion. It was really about feeling better about themselves. That kind of, you know, being in that position, it's actually, it's a lot of responsibility um, because you really do have this, this person who's coming to you for more than a product. Sarah, how would you say the beauty industry has changed from, you know, that counter experience that you have to today? Because, you know, Victoria Beckham Beauty is just about a year old. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very different experience than, you know, I imagine the brands that you were selling at Bergdorf and even the brands that you were on at Estee Lauder. 
Mm, yes, very much, very much so. I mean, when Victoria and I decided to go out on our own and create Victoria Beckham Beauty together, one of the reasons that we did it on our own and we didn't partner with anybody else was because we wanted to really catapult ourselves into this future vision that we had. And we wanted to be unfettered by any legacy brands that somebody else might have because we wanted it to be a totally new level of high performance, luxury, clean. So that was one of the key things that we had discussed. And we just wanted to be able to do it without really without answering to anybody and, um, and having the ability to create exactly what we wanted. So that was being, you know, sustainably focused and being able to talk about it, creating formulas that, you know, my background is really product development and I'm super passionate about formulas. Uh, but this is my first experience in creating super clean formulas. So for example, the EU, it forbids about 1300, I'm sure you know about 1300 uh, classes of ingredients. Um, but for us, there are an additional about 32 classes of ingredients that we don't use. So we did our own research. We spent a lot of money and a lot of time to look at the data on different ingredients. And, um, and that's one of the key hallmarks of our brand. But it's also super important for me, you know, I mean, who am I kidding? Like, I love beauty. And if it doesn't perform, even I'm not going to switch out, you know? Uh, so it's just... It, I just felt like there was a place to go with the background that I have to create formulas that really perform, that are absolutely in, you know, in their textures, the sensorial aspect of when you're applying them, that they feel great, um, and really taking that expertise and combining it with this new level of clean. You know, we, we just, and then Victoria's brilliant editorial eye and also incredible passion for beauty and what she felt was missing. So Sarah, I have a question for you. You know, mm. obviously Victoria is very well known mm. um, and both as a celebrity and as a fashion designer. So when you were thinking about this brand and obviously her name is in the brand, you know, what it could be and how closely connected it was going to be to her as well as to her fashion arm, mm -hmm. um, to the Spice Girls, you know, all of her, you know, past life. Mm -hmm. What was the rationale? for her to really be involved in how you guys were going to position it. Because there's mm -hmm. so many celebrity brands right now, so many designer brands right now, mm -hmm. and few, I think, really have the longevity to be, uh, to compete with like an Estee Lauder brand or to compete yeah. with a L'Oreal brand or, mm -hmm. or Shiseido mm -hmm. brand. Yeah. And, you know, and this was one of the things that when we started, we thought, you know, in our first, in our real first face-to-face -face brainstorming conversation. This is what we discussed was what would a luxury beauty brand look like in 10 years? And that's where we started. And, and I think that alone can tell you a lot. You know, this is not a situation where Victoria is coming along and being like, you know, I just want a beauty. I want a beauty brand. It's a vanity project. I want to put my name on it. It was not that it's, it's been a lot of, um, hard work and involvement and long hours and 
um, and we're just passionate about it. So I think I think that is a key point. Um, but when we were talking about what would the brand look like, what would a luxury brand look like in ten years? You know, it really, in our opinion, would be inclusive, luxurious, clean, sustainably focused, and of course, developed by women. <laughs> That's a huge one. That's a huge one. Well, it, you know, in my experience, I've I've been in a situation in a lot of situations where. You know, the people that I'm trying to convince about a product that I think needs to be developed are not going to be the end users of that product, you know? And with Victoria, this is something we we talk about. What do we want? You know, we we don't have the hubris to think that we could figure out what other people really want. Um, but we can determine what it is we think is missing from our own makeup bags. You know, what would we like to see as working moms on the go all the time, trying to balance everything? Um, what are those products? Absolutely. Sarah, will you talk a little bit about the disconnect? Because, I mean, you have such a reputable background just, mm -hmm. you know, of that. You know, today we're seeing a lot more female founders, fewer mm -hmm. female CEOs, I have to mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the women who are leading boardrooms today are not necessarily at the heads of really big brands and how mm -hmm. that's changing. What was mm -hmm. your experience like in that? Well, I mean, it was, you know, it was always fascinating to me to see these huge companies that are, you know, servicing their clients, their customers are, you know, 85% female and 15% male. And basically the makeup of the top tiers of management were the diametric opposite. And so, you know, I, I do feel like things are changing, but you can see that in order to really express themselves and to create something very different than what exists, many women have had to start their own companies. When you were thinking about the future of luxury, you know, what beauty, what a beauty brand would look like in 10 years, I imagine digital was very much of the focus because you guys are a digital first yes, brand, absolutely. which I think, which I think a lot of people would have been surprised by because, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody wanted to have you on shelf. So yes. will you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. So, um, that it is true. Um, but it, it's, it's one of the things that Victoria was super adamant about that we be digital because she loves having a community and she, you know, built it originally um, as being part of the Spice Girls and then moved into fashion, continued to build her community. And now she's in beauty and continuing to build the community. And she absolutely loves it. And from the beginning, um, she wanted to know, like, how, how should we incorporate the community in our products? Like, how do we do it? And we just this summer launched our first product that was community developed. And that's our bitten lip tint in the shade Cherie, which is new. And uh, so it's our second shade of bitten lip tint. Bitten lip tint has been our, one of our best sellers since the beginning. And, um, and, you know, when you're direct, you can have those relationships and you can have that really tight um, back and forth. You know, we were able to ask them what did they think of lab submissions as it was happening, you know, in real time. They chose a, what color they preferred. They chose the name. 
you know, I mean, the whole thing. And we did it in real time. I didn't want to do it in like a fake kind of thing, like fakey fake. I really wanted it to be the journey as we developed it. So it required some patience on the part of our community. They're like, when is it coming out? When is Cherie coming? <laughs> and and it was, um, you know, it took a couple months, but it's been a huge, huge success, you know, and it's so fun. It's just a really fun element. You know, Sarah, I think pre-COVID, some brands were really um, struggling with direct-to-consumer and struggling with online because customer acquisition costs were rising, Facebook, Instagram kind of owned the journey, and then um, they felt like they had to be in retailers to grow. But then now that's all changed with COVID as stores continually be to be fragmented, opens, openings and closures. Mm-hmm. So who are you finding today coming to your site? I imagine it's very different than who maybe was coming to your site last September. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think we've gotten a much broader range um, of ages. Um that's for sure. And, you know, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, people love beauty. It is one of those things that makes us feel better. You know, it always has, and it always will. And so we are getting not just people who are super savvy, uh, digitally, but we're getting people for whom this is a new way of shopping. This is definitely, you know, some of their first experiences buying beauty. Um, and I think they're actually finding it surprisingly, you know, they're, they're finding it surprisingly enjoyable. Will you talk a little bit about how you guys have been navigating this COVID environment? Because I mean, mm-hmm. as you are, as you said, it's, it's you guys at the forefront, it's your money, it's your, you know, it's your business. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, being an indie brand, some of the supply chain stuff, some of the expenses must be very difficult to navigate right now. Yeah. I mean, there are definite serious challenges to this moment. No question. Um, one of them being just our team, you know, not having our team all together on a daily basis. That's that's a big one because I, I mean, I really, one of the best things about this new venture for me has been able to build a team, being able to build a team from the ground up. And I feel like I've just got the best team in the world. They're amazing. And I miss them. And a lot of ideas happen in the moment when, you know, you're all together and random things happen and a comment here leads to a comment there and creates a whole, you know, new idea. Um, so that's, that's been something that's been a challenge. Um, in terms of supply chain, yes, things have definitely slowed down. I mean, you know, if you order anything, the ordering, the, the receipt takes so much longer to actually receive your products, takes so much longer than it used to. And that's true from a large scale to the, you know, from the macro to the micro, I would say. So we have challenges, more challenges delivering our products to our consumer. And we also have some delays in launching some products uh, because of the supply chain issues. So it's not easy. How has your relationship been with partners, some of your online partners like Net-A-Porte? Mm-hmm. Um, how has that been negotiated? Because I know they're obviously dealing with some of these issues as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I hope, I really hope in this time that we're all being a little bit kinder to each other and a little bit more understanding. 
of how things are going, you know? Um, and everybody's had their challenges, obviously, on deliveries and, you know, and Net-A-Porter being such a fashion company also. They have those, all of those issues to deal with um, as well. But for us specifically, we've had really just great partnerships with Violet Gray, with Net-A-Porter, and most recently with Cult Beauty. And, you know, as much as we are a direct consumer company, we do understand that there are people who want to go to their retailer of choice, even if that retailer is, you know, is closed, for example, like, like Violet Gray, you know, closed its Melrose store, that consumer is still going to go to Violet Gray. So we understand that um, we need to meet our consumer where she loves to shop. So it's a balance for us. Have you thought about expanding distribution during this time or is it some, is it a time of like kind of keeping it tight and narrow? Well, there's the very practical reality of the fact that there are 10 of us at Victoria Beckham Beauty and that includes Victoria. (laughs) So there's just, everybody thinks it's like this big brand. Absolutely. And obviously, I know. And obviously, I mean, we, we have partners like helping us on supply chain and, you know, um, and doing some consulting here and there. That's obviously happening. But full-time employees, there are 10 of us. And so it's, we just need to go very mindfully um, and realistically in terms of our expansion. And we really want to grow our own direct channel. So we're keeping that in mind as well. So that's a great segue, Sarah, because I have to ask about Tmall. I mean, I know that that's a huge play. I know she has a huge audience there. David also, I mean, is always killing it at Alibaba and Mm Tmall with his brand. So tell me a little bit about that and why you thought going there so quickly was important. Mm -hmm. I I just think that when you're dealing in a digital world, you don't think geographically as much. And I've been asked this question quite a bit, you know, why China and why so soon? And I mean, maybe I should have considered it a little bit more, <laughs> more deeply, but in a way, to me, it's so obvious. It's almost like a why not? Why wouldn't we go to China? It's a huge, obviously, it's a huge market with the most advanced social media, um, some of the most advanced digital selling. And I'm always interested in learning, you know, and, and that is a place where we can learn for sure. So, you know, did we go in perfectly? No, I wouldn't say we went in perfectly, but, you know, I think we did a pretty good job as a start and, we're just going to continue to strategize how do we build this piece of the business. And I think because China is so advanced, it will inform the rest of our digital strategy um, in, the other, in the other parts of the world where we sell. What was the live streaming piece of it like? Because I know here in the U.S., people are just starting to really understand what that's like. Mm-hmm. And trying to do it on Instagram and, and not having mm-hmm. nearly as much a success. So yeah. tell me a yeah. little bit about that. Well, it's, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating to see one of these live streams. Have you ever seen one? I've, I've seen the recordings after the fact, but not yeah. 
Okay. Live. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, because it's hard. It's hard to get into, yes, the team all app and the, you know. Um, but it is, it is absolutely fascinating to see the power that um, these top influencers hold in their, in their ability to sell such a broad range of products. And you understand that it's really about the personality of the person and, and their authenticity about what they will endorse and what they won't. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really quite something. It, it moves very fast, very, very fast. I mean, you probably saw some of the, the published data, but we sold about $150,000 worth of our power serum in five minutes, which is just mind boggling, you know, and, and one of my favorite phrases is TIC. This is China. (laughs) That's what TIC stands for. I didn't know that. Yes, this is China. And yes, and they say it all the time, you know, the, like the partners that I work with there. And um, I just have some fantastic, fantastic people that I have the privilege of working with there. And, and they have good senses of humor. And they're like, Sarah, TIC. <laughs> so, Sarah, I know I've talked to a lot of other indie brands or newer brands, and it's hard to compare because you guys are, you know, Victoria is one half of what you're doing, and she mm-hmm. is not an indie personality. Right. Um, but I know that it's been difficult for some other indie brands getting there because, you know, they may not have the right distributor, they may not have the right partner, they may not be able to scale, as well as, you know, they either have to focus on one hero product to drive mm-hmm. their whole strategy. Mm-hmm. So have you felt that at all? I mean, did you go the hero product route or did you feel like you could just, you know, introduce the brand in a broader capacity? I actually, we kind of ended up a little bit in the middle. So um, choosing our development and our SKUs very, very carefully and not overdoing it, but providing enough that it is clear when you look at it that there is an editorial point of view. So, for example, our Smoky Eye Bricks that we launched with last September 14th, those we had, we launched with four shades. And that was purposeful because you wouldn't necessarily understand the personality of the brand if we only introduced one. And we also felt it was important to launch the products that Victoria was known for, but also that she herself wanted to recreate in this clean, high-performance way. So we launched in September, we launched her Smoky Eyes. In October, we launched her Perfect Pout. And in November, we launched our uh, Glowing Skin. And those three elements are really Victoria's hallmark. And so we wanted to kind of share that with her fans. How does she get that look? While at the same time, we were very busy developing formulas that would surpass people's expectations. Will you talk a little bit, Sarah, about how the China market and the U.S. market is kind of responding to Victoria and your makeup? in this Mm -hmm. environment where everybody is saying like makeup has fallen off a cliff Mm -hmm. compared to skincare. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually not seeing that 
the falling off a cliff thing. We are, you know, we are seeing upticks in eye makeup and that makes sense because of the mask wearing. Um, but, you know, right now we're only selling skincare really in China. We have a couple of our, of our makeup uh, SKUs on the Tmall site, but we're really focused on first going into skincare there. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison versus in the US and UK and EU. Um, but one of the things that's very lucky for us actually is that our bitten lip tint, for example, is mask friendly. It doesn't transfer. And we've been able to talk about that and show that. And we've had other you know, media outlets pick up on that and show it themselves because that's what, you know, people are looking for. So I think it just kind of depends how appropriate your offering is in this weird time um, where people are wearing masks. Do you think it's also a function that you have such a tight edit, you know, in -hmm. terms of other makeup brands? I think we're all palette fatigued. I think we're all 64 shades of X, Y, or Z fatigued. So do you think that's also part of it? I do. I do. I think people are making more careful choices and I think they are, you know, they're watching where their money goes. And so they want to make sure that when they buy something, it's, it's somewhat practical. They're going to use it, you know, and that was something that Victoria and I paid attention to when we were developing all of the products, you know, trying to make sure we were being thoughtful um, and giving people really what they what they wanted in a way that would be helpful to them. So like the eyeshadow palettes, for example, all of those, the colors are done in different stripes and they're done by use up rate. So that means the base color that you use up more because you use it all over your eyelid is a bigger size than the darker shade that you would use more like a liner, for example. So that's use up rate. So that at the end, you've used the whole palette in an equal way. Because one of the frustrating things I know is when you have a fabulous palette that you love and you use three shades and those disappear and then you've got 12 that you don't use. So we did, you know, things like that. Do you think the monthly drop piece of it was also helpful? Because that's a very popular streetwear kind of idea Mm -hmm. that is now being adopted by everyone from Mm -hmm. Mac to Benefit to Mm -hmm. um, Pat McGrath. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget that makeup's fun, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is not, you know, we are not curing deadly diseases here. We're not. We are creating products that hopefully make you feel good. And, um, and by doing something on a monthly basis, or close to, it's a way of saying like, you know, here's something new, try this. It's fun. Try, you know, you don't have to be so serious about makeup, go crazy, use a Bordeaux eyeliner, you know, (laughs) that's, that's kind of the idea. And people have responded. Absolutely. So as we look forward to the rest of this year and early 2021, you know, are you thinking more makeup drops? Are you thinking more skincare drops? I know the Augustinus Bader collection, did incredibly well. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Charles was on this podcast as well a few months ago at this point and, you know, discussed how well that relationship has been going. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. They're wonderful partners. 
Charles Rosier and Augustinus Otter himself. Um, I just, I just love them and they have an amazing team. So it's been, that's been a fabulous journey. And, you know, that really started with Victoria absolutely loving the Augustinus Botter creams and, and wanting to create something that would give this instant glow that she's known for, but that would use his brilliant TFC8 technology. So that's where that started. And I mean, that decision was made and um, we, you know, we were up and running at the beginning of February of last year and we launched our first product in October. So that's, I mean, we had our first, yes, our first like dinner together on February 6th of last year. I remember really well. And I, and I remember talking with Augustinus about, you know, the, the project and wanting to move forward. And, and I said something to him like, you know, well, have you looked at the contract? And he said, I did. He said, but you know, in my experience, a contract is only as good as the people who sign it. And I said, I'm with you, you know, and from then on, it's just been, it's been really fabulous. So, yeah. When you think about skincare though, do you want to do more collaborations or partnerships with them? Or do you think you would do more on your own? Like, how are you thinking about it? We're just, just starting to enter that phase of, you know, <laughs> we're wiping the, the sweat from our brow and looking at next year and how do we want to continue and what do we want to do? But we have, yes, we have a lot of plans for moving forward on some very exciting, continuing to build our makeup business as well. So it's, you know, we are, Victoria and I have a very big vision for this brand. This is not going to be a fly-by-night brand. We are building this for the long term, the really long term. And so... Our goal is to create a brand that encompasses makeup and skincare and wellness and fragrance. When you think about wellness and how important that is today, right, in this environment. Yes. And how people have kind of traded their mentality of what is considered self-care. What does that look like for you? Or what can you share, Sarah? Mm. Well, I can share that I am in the midst of educating myself massively. And I am a little shocked by, um, by some of the regulations in terms of testing, testing of the ingredients, um, within supplements and how that, how that goes, that you actually only need to test your formulations one time, and then you can publish that data and you use that as your marketing data. But then legally you can actually drop the level of activity by as long as it doesn't go below 50% and still make those claims. Do you think that that extends to what you're doing with clean too? Because you know, yes. the clean space is a wild, Huge. wild west right now. Huge. Huge. Um, so yes, we are, we are very, very excited about this because the level of um, conversation about clean in supplements is in its nascent stage, but it is so important. And I think with a little bit of education, people will understand how important it is and how crucial it is to not only test your products for potency, which is what I was just talking about, but also for purity 
and to do that for every batch and then to publish it. And that's been one of the key things for us creating the beauty, you know, both makeup and skincare is publishing, not just what ingredients we don't use, but publishing the ingredients that we do. Sarah, you said a lot there. I have to, I'm like digesting myself. You know, mm-hmm. for your perspective, the clean space consider and the clean and efficacious space as well as like the regulated supplement space is still a very small part of the market. Mm-hmm. And that's changing right now. Have you guys thought about, you know, price point, luxury in that way? Because it seems like the idea of luxury is getting broader. Mm-hmm. And I know it's still very expensive to do mm-hmm. all the things yes. that you're talking about. Yes, it is expensive. And it is expensive, especially when you are hyper-focused on purity and potency and delivering that consistently, not one time, but every single time you make that product. So it isn't, it isn't inexpensive. Um, However, I do think, I mean, again, I can only speak for myself and Victoria, you know, we have these conversations a lot and we are feeling really, really uh, strongly about what it is we're putting into our bodies. And we both love supplements. It helps us to, you know, maintain our energy maintain our, you know, sort of having your skin look good and your hair look good and all of this, all of these things help, um, as well as just your daily level of, you know, sort of being able to move around in the world and feel good, you know, but, but we're very, very particular because it, it started with working on things that we were putting on our skin, but now we've started working on things that we're putting into our bodies. And that is, even more, you know, of course, important that it's pure. Sarah, I have to ask, you know, it sounds like things are going very well for the brand. And I know people are so excited by it, especially mm-hmm. with this T-Mall expansion. So when you're thinking about growth this year and looking at next year, what can you tell us about that? I mean, you know, a lot of this is still for us. Um, it's, it's kind of up in the air because we, we've just launched China Right. We have their big festival, which is 1111 Singles Day coming up. So we'll have to we'll have to see how we do. I, I never like to count our chickens before they hatch uh, because it is it is every day. You know, that's the thing about direct to consumer, which was a big learning curve for me. Every day I wake up and I look at the tally. You know, you start at zero. You start at $0 every day and you just see like, what kind of day is that going to be? But we've, we've been having double digit growth, um, month over month. And it's, it, I don't see that slowing down. I only see that, that increasing. So we're, we're doing, we're doing really well and, and we're loving what we're doing. And, you know, hopefully people are, well, we see it in our return rate of our consumers. I mean, uh, we have about a 75% return rate uh-huh. from, uh, from consumers coming back, you know, not returning the product. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, Sarah, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so that's a lot of people who are 
really happy with the product. And, you know, and that's another thing, um, being direct. So we publish all of our comments, every single one. I read them all, whether it's one star or five stars, we publish everything. I don't censor any of it. So those ratings are really the ratings that we're getting. And I'm proud to say people really love the product. So it's exciting. It's exciting. I I do believe, and I am a product developer at heart, but I do believe if you deliver something to people that is better than what their expectations were, even if their expectations are high, they will come back. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was great having you this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week.